about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Listen to me, Jacob, Israel, whom I have called. I am he. I am the first and I am the last. My own hand laid the foundations of the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I summoned them, they all stand up together. Come together, all of you, and listen. Which of the idols has foretold these things? The Lord's chosen ally will carry out his purpose against Babylon. His arm will be against the Babylonians. I, even I, have spoken. Yes, I have called him. I will bring him, and he will succeed in his mission. Come near me and listen to this. From the announcement, I have not spoken in secret. At the time it, it happens, I am there. And now the sovereign Lord has sent me, endowed with his spirit. This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God, who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river, your well-being like the waves of the sea, your descendants would have been like the sand, your children like its numberless grains. Their name would never be blotted out, nor destroyed from before me. Leave Babylon, flee from the Babylonians, Announce this with shouts of joy and proclaim it. Send it out to the ends of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. They did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He, he made water flow for them from the rock. He split the rock, rock and water gushed out. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. Well, good evening again. Uh, let me add my welcome to Kez's. Um, I should have introduced myself before, but uh, for those who haven't met me, my name's Andrew Errington. I'm the senior minister here. It's really good to be with you. We're working our way through part of the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. Um, and overall, the part of scripture we're reading is full of good news. It begins in chapter 40, we're, we're going 40 to 55. It begins in chapter 40 with the promise of comfort. Comfort, comfort my people, uh, says your God. And it ends in chapter 55 with a promise that you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. But the passage before us this week is not as upbeat. It ends with those stark and sobering words that Gabby just read for us. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. And these words are the conclusion of two fearsome chapters. We just read the end, but this evening before our eyes is the whole of chapters 47 and 48. Two fearsome chapters in which God's judgment on Babylon is announced and Israel is called to take heed. What do we do with a passage like this? It's tempting to skip it. It's actually easier especially in a time when a lot of us are a bit worn out, it's easier to focus on the good stuff, positive messages. I feel that. 
I was tempted at least to give the passage to Michael Matt. But we run a serious risk when we pick and choose from Scripture like that. The risk we run is the risk of only listening to the bits that we want to hear. And when we do that, what we do is we remake Christian faith in our own image. And we lose an opportunity to hear the living and active voice of God. So this week, we're going to walk the challenging path of Isaiah chapters 47 and 48. We won't be able to take in everything that we read here, so I hope you'll be able to read it. You might want to have a Bible open before you. Um, But what we're going to do is be guided by a theme that runs throughout these chapters, and that's the theme of pride. These chapters are about pride and God's response to pride. We hear first about the pride of Babylon, uh, the pride of the oppressor. And then we hear second about a different kind of pride, the pride of Israel, who were the oppressed. And then finally, we hear about something that is like pride, but also totally different, the honor and glory of God. So let's look at these things in turn. First, let's turn to chapter 47, where Isaiah declares God's judgment against the pride of Babylon. I warn you, it's pretty harrowing stuff. Here's verse 1. Go down, sit in the dust, virgin daughter Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne, queen city of the Babylonians. No more will you be called tender or delicate. Take millstones and grind flour. Take off your veil. Lift up your skirts, bare your legs and wade through the streams. I was angry with my people and desecrated my inheritance. I gave them into your hand, and you showed them no mercy. Even on the age, you laid a very heavy yoke. Sorry, I've, I've missed a bit there. This is very confusing. I have mucked up my actual slides. I'm sorry, folks. I don't know what's going on here. There's verse 3. No, that's verse 3 of chapter 48. Do you know what? We're in trouble here. Uh, I'm going to read the Bible that I have in front of me. It is on paper, and it probably won't appear on the screen. Uh, And I encourage you to either look at an actual Bible yourselves, because I got lost there somewhere. Anyway, Isaiah 47 begins with this promise of... Judgment, and it's quite, it's quite ugly. The first bit was right, okay? So it's this awful promise of, um, it's this it's awful word of judgment on Babylon where Babylon is depicted as a kind of noble woman being disgraced and humiliated, taking millstones and grinding flour, take off your veil. Isaiah goes on to say, your nakedness will be exposed and your shame uncovered. I will take vengeance I will spare no one, says God. Babylon is judged fearsomely here. The imagery of Babylon, by the way, as a queen or as a noble woman is probably because this is how Babylon described herself. In verses 5 and 7 of chapter 47, we see Babylon talk of herself as as like a queen. 
But what has Babylon done to deserve this, this awful judgment? Well, the history is important. As we've mentioned before, in 587 BC, the Babylonian Empire invaded Israel and destroyed it, taking the people of Judah into captivity. So Babylon came across, ruined Israel, and that was God's judgment, uh, Isaiah says. Yet it's not just for that that Babylon is condemned here. Have a look from verse 6. This is verse 6 here. Isaiah says, I was angry with my people and desecrated my inheritance. I gave them into your hand and you showed them no mercy. Even on the age you laid a very heavy yoke. And that is not the right next bit. There is the next bit. There we go. I think I'm back. Babylon, this is God continuing, and and he says, You said, Babylon, you said, I am forever the eternal queen. But you did not consider these things or reflect on what might happen. You see, it was the Lord's, it was at the Lord's command that Babylon conquered Israel. And yet Babylon was still guilty for the way she went about this, and the arrogance and cruelty shown. Babylon will be cast down, Isaiah says, above all because of her pride. I am forever, she said, the eternal queen. Listen to that phrase. And listen to how this pride is described in the verses that follow. Now then, listen, you lover of pleasure. This is verse 8 of chapter 47. Now then, listen, you lover of pleasure, lounging in your, lounging in your security and saying to yourself, I am and there is none besides me. I will never be a widow or suffer the loss of children. Both of these, Isaiah says, will overtake you in a moment on a single day, loss of children and widowhood. They will come upon you in full measure, in spite of your many sorceries and all your potent spells. You have trusted in your wickedness and have said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and knowledge mislead you when you say to yourself, I am and there is none besides me. Do you hear that? I am. And there is none besides me. Babylon sees herself as invulnerable, a kind of ultimate reality. She thinks her luxury is only what is owed and her wickedness is unstoppable. No one sees me, she says. I will never know loss. No one can touch me. I'm invincible. There's a lot more we could talk about here. We could notice that Babylon's pride is bound up with her religion. Babylon is so self-assured, partly because she thinks she has a kind of spiritual mastery. In the verses that follow, if you have a read of verse 12 and following, Isaiah really draws this out into the open. But for now, let's just sit with the biggest lesson of this chapter. God hates pride. That is what we're reminded here with fearsome clarity. He hates it when human beings and human systems forget what they are and and gorged on power and success think of themselves as kind of final, ultimate realities that everybody else has to just get out of the way of. This isn't just a bit unpleasant, a bit on the nose. It is offensive to God. And he breaks it down. 
And this kind of pride has not vanished from our world. No, it appears often where there is power. All success and power can begin a slide into self-satisfaction, into a feeling of entitlement and indifference to the powerless and the weak. A sense of untouchableness creeps in, a sense that the world has to get out of my way. Our thoughts might be drawn here to prominent people, probably mostly men, who appear to kind of just ooze a sense of entitlement and arrogance. Perhaps our thoughts should also go to the pride that attaches to great powers or to systems and civilizations. You know, the kinds of claims that Babylon makes here have been made for Western civilization and for neoliberalism at the end of the Cold War. Something like Babylon's claim, I am and there is none besides me. There were people who spoke that way about the West. Maybe our thoughts should be drawn to ourselves as well, though. Especially if we are powerful or successful in any way, let's ask ourselves, is there pride creeping in? The Lord hates pride like this, brothers and sisters. Don't let it get a foothold in your life. And don't become desensitized to it when you see it in the world. If, if we're careful readers of the Bible, we should have a kind of radar for these kinds of claims. Let Babylon be a warning to us today. The Lord breaks down the pride of humanity. Things that think they are invincible can fall in a moment. But the kind of pride we see here in Babylon is not the only kind of pride. In chapter 48, Isaiah turns to Israel. For they too, in their own way, are proud. Have a look at verse 1. Hopefully the slides are working now. Sorry, I mucked that up. Listen to this, Isaiah says, You descendants of Jacob, you who are called by the name of Israel and come from the line of Judah, you who take oaths in the name of the Lord and invoke the God of Israel. And then there's this sting, but listen, but not in truth or righteousness. There's something wrong with Israel. The very Israel God is redeeming, right? This, this part of Isaiah is all about how God is saving Israel, but there's something wrong with Israel. This shouldn't surprise us, actually. All through, since chapter 40, we have had hints that Israel is not where it ought to be with God. Isaiah keeps having to call Israel away from idols. He keeps having to answer Israel's complaints. God's judgment on Israel hasn't yet properly changed Israel's heart. And that's what comes out here in the verses that follow. We see the Lord searching Israel and pinpointing a a serious problem. Have a look from verse 3. I foretold the former things long ago. My mouth announced them and I made them known. Then suddenly I acted and they came to pass. For I knew how stubborn you were. 
Your neck muscles were iron. Listen to this image of stubbornness. Your forehead was bronze. Therefore, I told you these things long ago before they happened. I announced them to you so that you could not say, my images brought them about, my wooden image and my metal God ordained them. You've heard these things. Look at them all. Will you not admit them? God's saying here, guys, wake up. Face reality. Look at it. You've heard this. Look at it. Won't you admit it? It's almost like a policeman interrogating a suspect or a barrister skewering a witness in court. But Israel hasn't listened. They don't face up to it. Look at verse 8. You have neither heard nor understood. From of old your ears have not been opened. Well do I know how treacherous you are. You were called a rebel from birth. These are tough words, aren't they? It's pretty hard to listen in to something like this. But we need to listen in because it shows us something important. It shows us that there is another kind of pride, which is, which is a kind of stubbornness. It is a pride that hardens itself to another person and to their perspective, to their voice. It, it walls itself off slowly and steadily more and more against the influence of another. Sometimes we see this unfold gradually in a relationship, perhaps in a marriage, between friends, between a parent and a child. There is a kind of slow closing off to the perspective and presence of another. It's a kind of pride because it is a kind of choice to be satisfied with my own viewpoint, my own way of seeing things. And the problem with it is that you actually get what you wish for. You end up left cut off from the other person. You wall yourself off in your own perspective and you might be right or you might be wrong but you don't have any way of knowing anymore. What Israel shows is that people can do this, people do do this with God. We begin to refuse to listen and then we start to become hard towards God and his word. We start to be impressed by our own ideas, our own ways of understanding things, however messed up they are, and we close ourselves off from his help. Is that you, brother or sister? Is that the path you are beginning to walk down? Or is it the place you think you've ended up? We've got to beware this pride, friends. We must beware a creeping unwillingness to listen. But we must not despair. We must not despair. I say this especially if this is you. If you see yourself in these descriptions, don't despair. Because there is one last thing we see in this passage. We see that the Lord's commitment to his own honor and glory 
is stronger than our pride. Listen to how God responds to Israel's pride from verse 9. For my own name's sake, this is chapter 48, verse 9. For my own name's sake, I delay my wrath. For the sake of my praise, I hold it back from you, so as not to destroy you completely. See, I have refined you, though not as silver. I've tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. In the end, God says he is going to save Israel, to redeem Israel despite Israel's stubbornness. Why? For his own sake. Because that is what he is committed to. God will not, in the end, he will not let Israel's pride be decisive. He won't let it. He will act for his own purpose, for the sake of his own honor. That's what we see unfold in the second half of chapter 48, in the bit that was read before. We see God describe how he is going to act to save Israel. And he's going to do so without Israel's help. Indeed, he's going to call a complete stranger. Right? He says, you guys, you won't help? Watch, watch this. Watch what I'm going to do. I'm going to call Cyrus, king of Persia, from over in, in the east, who you've never heard of, and he is going to come, and he's going to defeat Babylon and set you free. Verse 15, I, even I, have spoken. Yes, I've called him. I will bring him, and he will succeed in his mission. It would have been wonderful, fabulous, God goes on, if Israel had listened to God, had obeyed him from the beginning. That's what verses 17 to 19 are all about. If only you had paid attention, says God. But they didn't. And yet God is still going to save them. Because that's his commitment. And he keeps his commitments. And so the chapter ends with Israel finally acknowledging what they have refused to acknowledge. Verse 20, leave Babylon, flee from the Babylonians, announce this with shouts of joy and proclaim it, send it out to the ends of the earth, say the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. What we see here at the end of this chapter is the Lord's constant, unshakable commitment to save Israel, whether they get on board the train or not. And it is a decision that he makes because of his commitment to his own glory, his own honor. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do this, says God. You might be a bit put off by this talk of the Lord defending his own honor. I wonder about that. People sometimes are a bit worried by this God talking about his own glory. Isn't that pride, just like Babylon? But no, it, it absolutely isn't that. It absolutely isn't that because, as God points out, he actually is what Babylon only pretends to be. Right? Babylon says... I am forever. Babylon says, I am, and there is none besides me. And coming from Babylon, that is arrogant nonsense. 
But coming from the Lord, it is nothing but truth. I am he, he says in verse 12. I am the first and I am the last. My own hand laid the foundations of the earth and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I summon them, they all stand up together. You want power. I'm the creator, says God. The Lord really is the ultimate reality. There's no pride in that boast. But more than this, and here's the really extraordinary thing that we get to at the end of this passage. This commitment by God to defend his own glory, that is our salvation. That's the incredible thing we get to, as I said, at the end of this admittedly long and difficult journey. Were it not for God's commitment to his own glory, we would have no hope. Because, you see, it is God's commitment to his own honor that means he doesn't give up on Israel. Even though Israel have refused him, ignored him, become hardened towards him, he doesn't give up because he has made a promise to them. And he will stand by it for his own sake, even if they have abandoned it. He will save them even if they don't want a bar of it. You see, brothers and sisters, God's passion for his own glory is also his grace to us. Thank God, we need to say, thank God that he will not let his name be defamed. Thank God that he cares about his, his honor because that right there is our salvation. And why is that? Because... God has chosen, he has committed himself, he has made a promise to be God with us. He has bound himself to the well-being of his creation. He has made a promise not to abandon his people. And so he has bound his own glory up with us, with that promise And so he cannot, he will not allow our pride and our stubbornness to win. He says no to our foolish pride. And that, of course, as we finish, is what we see most of all in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, we see how far God's commitment to his own glory will go. In Jesus Christ, we see how far God's commitment to his promise will go. We see God saving us, winning us back without any help from us when we were too far gone to help ourselves in any way. When we were of no help and we had gone, The Lord says, I am not letting my name go with them. He's bound himself to us. And so he gives of himself for the sake of his name. His glory becomes his grace in Jesus. God's glory is good news for us, friends.
Thank God for it. Isaiah 48 ends with the words we noticed at the beginning. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. They're fearsome words. But can I invite you to see that in a way that is hidden at first, they are also words of grace. Because how terrible it would be if the Lord were to ignore pride like the pride of Babylon. How terrible it would be if the Lord were to abandon us to our stubbornness and ignorance. If he were to give up on us and not bother fighting anymore. There is no peace for the wicked. That is God's refusal to leave us alone in our pride and self-satisfaction and ignorance. No, says the Lord, I will not abandon my creation. I will not forsake my promises. I will not yield my glory to another. And so if I have to do it all myself, then I will. Thanks be to God. Can I invite you to respond just by joining in the praise that belongs to him, that is fitting to him. The glory that he gave his one and only son in death upon the cross that you might join in with him. Let's turn to him and give him glory. The one who has redeemed us in Jesus for his own sake. Let's pray. Lord God, when we read of your wrestle with the people of Israel, we're a bit shocked. We would love it if, if, if a different story could be told about us, if there was none of this pride and none of this stubbornness in our hearts, and yet we fear it is not so. We know we can be just like this hard to your word, content with our own ideas, unwilling to accept your judgment. Lord, we thank you that you do not leave us in our ignorance and pride. But in Jesus, you win us back at great cost to yourself. Lord, we humble our hearts before you in praise. You are the one, the first and the last, our creator and our redeemer. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. 
For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.